five, four, three. Have a good, good holiday. Welcome to a not for public podcast. Dobigan and Reese Dobigan. Uh, joining you for uh, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year and Happy Hanukkah. Whatever else turns your crank at this time of year. Hope you're keeping warm. It has been a bitter, bitter last couple of weeks. Kept us inside watching sports and arguing about sports. Actually, we would do even if the weather was nice. We're still arguing about sports. And uh, on this episode, we've been off for a little while, but in this episode, I want to pick up on a couple of themes uh, that you and I have been talking privately. But let's start with... Uh, a little upset there's a the head coach at the at oklahoma state university the football coach at oklahoma state said a couple of things that got you a little bit upset why don't you paraphrase what he said and then we'll talk about it. yeah it's just a i, I think this is a, ca- a classic case of generational uh, divide uh mike gundy the head coach of oklahoma state the cowboys um i'm 40 and i'm a man yeah if you google his name that's what he's most famous for people uh, he he said in a press conference, um, essentially that players today are are stuck on their phones too much. They're staring at their phones and they don't understand uh, the way to play the game. As a result of that, they're not they're not prepared for um, the the how how to how to navigate the college football waters. And as a result, there is an increased level of parity in college football. Um, I just, man, I, you know, when he said that, I thought, okay, this is just a classic older guy looking at the younger guys, staring at their phones, not paying attention. He's frustrated, you know, but it just, it boggles my mind because sensitive on behalf of the millennials. You're, you're sort of a millennial. You're on the borderline of being a, being a little bit sensitive about all this. I'm, I should be sensitive about this. Uh, it, you guys are on your phones all the time. The conversation is, is it's never specific. It's always very broad. All millennials are this. All, the, all of these college football players now don't understand how to play because they're on their phones too much. I mean, all NCAA coaches don't understand how to coach anymore because they're all too busy recruiting. You know, it's just, it's a broad statement. You know, it, well, it's it's not necessarily accurate of the entire generation. He maybe he's just got a bad crew of freshmen this year, and he's blaming phones and you know co- social lives for their problems and I, for the problems I, of college football in general. I think it's ridiculous. Yeah, I I think he's not being as articulate as he might be, but I think what he, one thing he is getting at is this system that is really serving no one any good. At the moment, and and it'll also t- uh, tie into our second conversation about famous college football players deciding not to play bowl games. But but let me get it back to what I think Gundy may have been trying to get at, which is that in this day and age, with the super prospects, money that's on the table, all of the stakes, the high stakes in college football, that kids are are becoming trained to be workout warriors. They're trained to give really good numbers in workouts and to look good in. in shoulder pads and short pants or, you know, in hockey, just doing drills, et cetera. And they're not playing as many games as they used to. And I, I, I can point to, and this is the old man talking, but I can point to when I grew up, you go by a, a park, there'd be kids throwing the football, playing touch football. I never see that anymore. You used to go by the park. There were kids playing pickup baseball. You don't see that anymore. 
might see organized baseball. You might see organized football. But the idea of kids playing the game, intricacies of the game, strategies, the, the things that happen when you're in competition, I don't think they're doing as much anymore. And I blame, to a certain extent, agents who say, okay, you hit 95 on the radar gun as a baseball pitcher or just did your 4-2-40. Uh, we're, we're, we're shutting you down until the real money shows up. I think that's a problem that they're getting at. And it's one of the reasons the kids are going, well, yeah, I'm just going to look at my phone now because, you know what, I'm where I, I want to be and you can't tell me to play. I'm going to ignore for a moment the idea that uh, uh, athletes today as as, young, as youth, uh, youth athletes aren't playing as much as they used to. I think that's bunk. I think that's totally bogus. They're playing more than they've ever played before because we're in an age of specialization. Yes. Youth athletes do not play, quote unquote, anymore. They don't go and play tag. They don't go out into the yard and play games anymore. It's all very regimented and organized. Yeah, but who's right. to blame? Everything's structured. Everything's Fine. structured and, and Fine. structured for them. And they go, oh, I'm just, okay, well, I'm just doing by but the numbers that's, here. That's saying that they don't understand how to run a five-yard out route because they're not playing in the playground. You learn how to run a five-yard out route at the college level at the pro level, now you learn how to do that when you're 12 from your coaches I think in an organized eye, I think a lot of the coordination things we're talking about, and talk to the Wayne Gretzky's of the world, talk to the guys. They're doing who more training camps than ever before. And, and that's exactly my point. They're quote unquote training, not playing the game. They're not developing the inner skills. They're not developing the inner strategies of the game. What they're doing is they're replicating what, what, what they think the scouts want and what the coaches want at the next level. And so, to a large extent, the kids go, okay, well, yeah, you know, I've ticked off those three boxes. The coach is yelling at him about playing. He's watching his phone because, uh, you know, everybody tells me what to do. I don't have to do anything. That's a cop-out. He's, 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 he's looking at his phone. What does that mean? You're not grabbing the attention of your players. That's a side argument. But the point is that the idea that they're training too much, what does that mean? That they're, they're on a I'm practice saying they're field, training too much. I'm saying that they're they are on training, a, but they're not doing the other stuff to match it. I'm saying that they're, that they're not on doing a practice field stuff. catching from a jugs machine instead of catching from Jimmy from down the street during a pickup game somehow is not preparing them as much earlier in their career. Absolutely. You, again, you talk, if you look at the great players, I talk about this with Tom Brady. Tom Brady has always been a meticulous, overworking guy, guy who's always done everything more than what the program requires. And I think that Gundy, in his inarticulate way, is getting, to a certain extent, to that at that particular thing, which is, again, kids are being trained in skills. They're being trained to the things, get them numbers that they can get used uh, to become a top draft pick in the NHL or the NBA or the NFL or, the, or MLB. And they're not playing the games and doing it. How often do you and I talk about a guy that, who looks great on tape? He's a football player. He's a football player. Somehow, he doesn't get drafted as high as the guy who has the quote-unquote, measurables from the combine. Right, but that's mixing two separate things. That's that's saying that today the coaches are coaching up too many great athletes who aren't natural football players versus they're not getting enough natural football players. I don't think that you develop natural football players. I think those guys just have that ability. I, you know, I could say from my own experience, I was never good enough to play past a certain level because I wasn't a natural football player. But I played a lot in the playground. I went out and did all this stuff. I did tons of it. Didn't mean I was a natural football player. I, I was a pretty good that. athlete for my age, and that's about it. I never.
Yeah, well, the point is not the coaches like. I mean, about the the the, the play, playground stuff again, and you know, I I think you're you're trying to make it athlete versus versus coach, and what I'm talking about. What happens? What's happening in between those two guys? I think the coaches are as much victimized by the system as the as the athletes are. And, oh, and they're the perpetrators. Who's in, who's in between? In between is the agent. In between is is the uncle who says, "Hey, man, don't do this." And they, and again, let's let's get right to the the other story that's happening where we're seeing Leonard Fournette, who's going to go in the top ten of the NFL draft as a running back, uh, Christian McCaffrey, McCaffrey, who is who's going to go in the probably in the top half of the first round of the NFL draft. Both guys have said, you know what? I'm not playing any more football games in college. Don't want to get hurt. I just want to get the big payday for the pros. And and I think that's what, what's happening from the athlete. It's hurting, hurting the athlete. The coaching level, it's hurting him too. And it's the people in between who've made this into a business. And Lord knows there's enough money going around. Yes, I completely agree with you. Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey not playing in the bowl game is going to make them worse football players at the next level. You are 100% correct on that. No! Come on! I'm saying it's. I'm not saying that it's going to make them better or not better. I'm saying it's a cynical response to the system that says, you know what, there's so much money on the line, I'm not going to play. To me, I listen, I understand it. If I was the agent, I would be talking to the athlete and his parents and saying, okay, here's the upside, the downside. Do you want to buy an insurance policy in case he gets hurt the way uh, the, the kid from Notre Dame did last year in a bowl game and he lost out on millions of dollars? Do you want insurance for that? Or do you want to sort of, you know, be the loyal guy to the school and play anyhow? And, and uh, for me, I see both sides. As I say, I see the side for the kid who's got a lot to lose. I also see the school saying, you know what? You signed, you signed up for a particular cruise here, and the cruise was you don't get off the boat uh, before the last, before the last port of call. You're supposed to be here through the whole finish with your teammates doing this sort of thing. So I understand both sides. But again, to me, it's about the cynicism of the system right now. But I don't think it's helping anybody. I, I see. Yes, I agree that it's not helpful when it comes from a team perspective. To me, at the end of the day, if this if this is coming from the argument that he's letting his teammates down, that the team, that the locker room, that is a sacred thing, that that's what you're there for. Those are the guys you play for. Yes, absolutely. Guys like McCaffrey and Fournette doing what they're doing is, is doing them a disservice. But we're talking about a meat grinder of a system. You look from the pro level down to college football, the person at the, at the least advantage in almost every situation is the athlete. At every step of the way, the coach who recruits those players to come and play, if that player doesn't, you know, play up to the standard that that coach wants, they can just bench them. They can move them on. They can rescind scholarships in some cases. Yeah, but the um, coaches are getting fired fast and furious too. They don't have the time. For, right. So, so how do you have the loyalty the to the place. coach? How do you have a loyalty to a coach who a guy like a Bobby Petrino who just jumps ship? Whenever they feel like, how can you have loyalty as a player to a coach who said, you know what, I'm going to be here for the next four years. And then he takes a, a pro job or a better NCAA job and he moves on. Yep. You know, these players don't have the, the, the idea that coaches demand loyalty from players in this day and age um, is crazy because they're not showing that loyalty back. So for a guy like Leonard Fournette, who has done more for the coaches at that school who did more for Les Miles to keep his job until he got fired than almost any other player, for him to be criticized because he's choosing not to play that last game, I think is a little bit amusing. 
I understand why why he he doesn't want to do it. I also understand why his teammates and the school would say, you know, Leonard signed up for the full ride. That meant all the games. It didn't mean just the ones you want to play. And I understand you've got a lot of money on the line. And I understand what's the name Smith from Notre Dame got hurt last year. You know what? You had an obligation that you signed up for. Don't you have any honor? Uh, do they? Hey, Leonard, don't you have any honor? By the way, we're cashing your jersey sales check right now that you're not going to see I'm any talking money. About his teammates. Talk about his teammates as well as his coaches, as well as the people at the school. His don't teammates you? are probably saying are more sympathetic to him than anybody. They're sure probably they the ones saying, hey, Leonard, you know what? You're a beast. You're my buddy. You've played your ass off, and I've seen you train your ass off every day for me. I, I'm, I have no problem with you skipping the bowl game. No problem, because we're going to pick it up, and we're going to win the game, even if you're not playing. Well, as I say, I, I, to get back to our – by the way, you're listening to Not the Public Podcast. Uh, I'm uh, Bruce Dobigan. He's the little Dobigan, Reese Dobigan. The little Dobigan. Come on. I'm a man. I'm 30. Not yet. Close. I'm a man. I'm 29. That's next year, baby. Next year. Don't you forget. I got shoes that are 30 years old. That's how oh. young you are. Anyhow, uh, let's get back to the original topic, which is which is this thing about training, etc. And what Mike Gundy was. I'm a man and I'm 40. What he was getting at. And I, I still believe that, again, if you talk to the guys who play Gretzky's and those kind of people, they talk about the away from the structure play they used to do that had aided them so much in that was on the ponds might have been playing pickup baseball in your sport whatever the sport is that so many of those things develop in a quote-unquote non-structured way but they're really important things because you're doing you're playing the game and you're thinking the game you're not being coached in the game you're 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 developing your instinct to a certain extent i think that's the case a lot of the kids when they're given the opportunity to do that they don't know what to do Coach would say, well, you know, go off and work on your own. And they go, I don't know what to do. And they get their phone out. And then they text each other's friends and then say, what does this coach want from me anyhow? Yeah, and that's fair. But we're, you know, I, no offense. I, I, I always enjoy when an example of a, a player that developed their skills, the guy who's referenced is only the greatest hockey player of all time. And now I know I know that Gretzky says this is true. And, and in large part, I do see what – well, I can give you saying. lots of names of guys who I've, I've done yeah, books exactly. on and, and talked to. Steve Eisenman, the same guys in other sports. A, a, guy, like Jeff, a guy like Greg Zahn, you know, and talking to Greg Zahn about how much baseball, how much he played as a kid, structured and non-structured stuff that eventually aided him, helped him to, to the major league. Right. You know, and it, but I think that that isn't one particular kind of player. You know, it, it helps a lot of guys, sure. But I think that the people that should be Pointing, the finger should be pointed at are not are not the athletes like come on these are these are guys who are brought up through the system and they don't have any real control over how they're brought up through the system or treated in the system that's why i find gundy's argument so amusing is that it's the coaches who have turned the system into a specialized system they're the ones that have demanded more prepared players better athletes and so the the level of training for the next level has been turned into an industry because of the recruiters, because of the college coaches, because they've been saying for years and years and years, we need more guys, better players. And they've turned that into the system. So that's why I think it's funny that a guy like Gundy's turning around and blaming his players for looking at their phone. When 
years ago, he might not have even had their caliber of player on his roster at that back end. You know, his fourth string cornerback might not have been as good as he is because the 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 way that the players developed wasn't as specialized as it is now. Hey everyone, it's Restocking. I just want to take a moment to plug a couple of our other podcasts. First one is the Sound and Groove podcast, hosted by Evan. He breaks down the world of music, teaches you a little bit about the history of music. The guy has an encyclopedic knowledge, so I'm sure you'll learn a thing or two. The other podcast is On to Mike with Mace and Rice. That's hosted by CFL veteran Corey Mace, along with this beautiful guy right here. We talk about a few more of the gossipy stories in sports, off-the-cuff stuff, really fun, really funny. So we hope you tune in to either one of those shows. We hope you enjoy them. And now I will send you back to the show. Find me, by the way, at the end of the podcast to give you five minutes to rant about UFC. I can go get a sandwich. We'll leave it till the end. I don't want to get there just... By the way, I won't even mention how your bears let me down yesterday. Whoever that safety was, thought he had to cover like a 20-yard pass when, in fact, it was a 60-yard pass. I'm finding I'm t- take, getting his number and taking down names. Uh, but once again, of course, Aaron Rodgers, uh, whose team was going absolutely nowhere about three, four weeks ago. They were like speed bump for everybody. They just went right over them uh, on the, the Green Bay Packers defense. All of a sudden, they're up and running, putting on a winning streak, and, of course, threatening my beloved Detroit Lions. NFC North, the Norris division. Uh, they've got the big showdown. I, everyone's assuming Detroit's going to lose in Dallas, so it'll be a big showdown in Detroit for that last game. Now, how many how many times have you used that exact phrase in the last 25 years? Threatening the Detroit Lions. Is <laughs> that often. Yeah, that doesn't really happen. That's got to be a new thing for you. Although, although if we get in the playoffs this year, I think it'll be three times in the last five or six years that the Lions have been in the playoffs. They never win. Sure. But I, have, I think they have been in three times in five years, if they get in this time. So we'll be keeping our fingers crossed at all sorts of other. It was good last night that Evans, uh, Dallas Cowboys, Bucks, that helps. Them. Uh, but yes, your Bears could have bailed us out. So give us, give us your best two minutes on the Bears quarterbacking situation right now. I liked what I saw out of Barkley, but you might have a different. Um, no, I, 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 it's hard in the NFL, and this is the same thing as when a lot of people were really jumping on the Dak Prescott train in the preseason, and they were saying, oh, man, this guy can play, so on and so forth. And I went, listen, calm, calm down. It's four games. They're preseason games. That's a small data set. That's a small sample of whether a guy can play. A lot of guys have had four great games in their career. Matt Barkley, I think uh, that would have been his fourth, fourth game. Not a lot of games. Um, so for me to say that, uh, that, that he's the future, that he he's deserves a chance at starting next year, I even saw one headline this morning that said he's earned the right to start next year, period, full stop. I think that's ridiculous. I, I think that you got, the guy's got to play the, the rest of the year out. In that game in particular, he had three picks. I think a couple of them were not entirely his fault. You know, there's a saying that, that uh, every interception is its own story in a way. You know, they're, they're not just the quarterback messed up. A lot of the times it could have been a receiver or, um, 
you know, a missed uh, blocking assignment, he, the ball got tipped out of his hand, etc. So in Barkley's case, I think he's played a lot better than people would assume considering his numbers. He's had more drops than almost any quarterback over the last um, three games he's played. They had 15 drops last week, which I think was the most since something like 2003 in a single game. So if you take into account the yardage um, and the completion percentage of, of all those drops alone, he's he would have been the third highest rated quarterback over the three games that he played going into the Packers game next to Tom Brady and I think the other one was Aaron Rodgers. So that's, that's pretty good, all things considered. Whether or not he's the starting quarterback in Chicago next year remains to be seen. I think he's got to play out the rest of the year, uh, continue to be consistent and, and show what he has. And I think the Bears still need to grab a quarterback next year. Either bring Cutler back, screw it, pay him, bring him back, make him compete with Barkley, and hopefully lose the job or cut him, bring in somebody else. But you can't rest on your laurels. Even if Barkley plays great through the last part of the year, you can't go into next year with just Matt Barkley. Uh, as your quarterback that no NFL team should ever plan after six games to go into the next year with that guy as their starter, unless you drafted him in the first round that last year. That, well, that's just it's also, if you, it's also what you expect next year. If you expect the bears to do well or not, if, if you're saying this is a development year, I will go with the young quarterback. Okay, maybe, I mean, here's how the dominoes fall. I mean, the, the, the sense is that Tony Romo's probably going to end up in Denver. Uh, Jay Cutler would go someplace that needs a quarterback, but doesn't know that, you know what, from, you know what, like the our Jets. I, I think that there's some places for those guys. So if I'm the Bears, I don't see a, a, a veteran guy to bring in to challenge Barkley. What I do is I say, okay, you're my starter. Draft a guy in the second or third round. Not a great year for quarterbacks this year. There's no, you know, Hail Mary guy out there. There's no Andrew Luck or a guy who's going to bail you out right away. Jameis Winston, even kind of guy. So if I'm the Bears, I, I, I bring along Barkley. I say you're starting the season. I try to beef up the offensive line so he doesn't get the snot beat out of him every week. And then I kind of you know play a running running offense and hope that, that he survives until our other quarterback is ready to play. Yeah, I have to agree that that would be the best approach. But, um, you know, it's the NFL. Things change drastically um, uh, in the offseason. So a lot has to happen before I think he's going to – you know, see the field as a starter uh, or even come into training camp with the the opportunity to win a starting job. So, I, I'd like to see it happen just because of his age and because he's played, he's been promising and, and also the way that he's succeeded. You know, the, the kind of quarterback I like to watch play are guys that are consistent, that are calm, that don't look like, you know, they don't have to be these amazing athletes. They just look like they're under control. And he looks like he's, you know, when he plays, he looks under control. Just USC quarterbacks, Matt Leinart, Bob yeah. Johnson. I mean, it just all these guys are so they look so good and they're they're talked up. Cody Kester wasn't he USC too? Cody uh, Kester was USC. Too, I think wasn't he? so. I think so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All yeah. these guys look so great in, in in red and gold, and then they come to the pros and it's just a washout. So it would be nice. Barkley could sort of you know, defeat that. Uh, you're listening to uh, Not the Public Podcast, uh, uh, Bruce Dobigan, Reese Dobigan, the holiday season. Uh, we didn't get a real chance, and because besides UFC, you're also obnoxious about soccer, we didn't have a real good chance to talk about, and I wrote about this, what a great night it was 
uh, for Toronto FC. Okay, they lost the game, but that moment in time, what they did for soccer in Canada, the visibility of the team, etc., um, seemed seemed like a real kind of watershed moment for soccer in Canada, at least men's soccer in Canada. Uh, certainly, I. You know, it, it's been one of those things that MLS, or at least the the Canadian MLS teams, have been one of the best kept secrets in Canadian sports. Um, the Toronto Raptors and the Toronto Blue Jays have really monopolized the conversation when it comes to Canadian sports teams. Um, you know, and rightfully so, they've been they've been great over the last couple of years. But Toronto FC has had really surged um, in the last couple of years since they brought in Sebastian Javinko. Uh, and, and then you look at Montreal has consistently been pretty good the last number of years, and Vancouver, the Whitecaps have been have been pretty good. So our Canadian soccer teams are 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 good teams to watch. They are consistently fighting every year to be among the best teams in the MLS, and I think that that's in part a reflection of um, the popularity of the sport, uh, popularity of the sport in the in the in this country. Mm. It's got uh, I think the fastest. Uh, growth rate in terms of participation amongst sports, and more so than hockey, I think. Yeah, well, um, but they played soccer at the, at the participation level. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, soccer was was still a big sport, and kids have played by the hundreds of thousands, and we never got anywhere. I think what was more than hockey. Well, it's certainly now more than hockey, but in those days, probably more than hockey, too, because even then, hockey was an expensive sport. It was a winter sport. Uh, if you didn't have a lot of money or if you were a young woman, soccer was a better game for you to take up. It was a game in which you could see, succeed and get yourself a scholarship. But but I think what, what happened the other night, and the people in Montreal, the people in Vancouver who have their MLS teams are going to hate that, that I say this, but you finally put you know, names out there. You finally put some personalities out there the public can hang its hat on. And that's what pro sport is all about. Hey, you mentioned Jovinko. You mentioned some of the other guys, Bradley, who played. You go like, you know, now there's a visibility. Now I have a picture when I see that team in my mind. I'd like to see those guys again. When it's just the logo or when it's, you know, you should play it because the world, it's the world game. Eh, I don't need that. But when you finally start to see, and I'm, I'm writing a little bit about David Beckham at the moment too, when you start to see a guy like Beckham coming into your hometown, that makes a big difference. Not coming anymore, but. Well, yeah, I, I think MLS has done a, a great job when it comes to attracting uh, foreign players. Javinko is honestly one of the exceptions in a way, because most of the time they're bringing in guys who are on their last legs. And Javinko, they brought him in arguably, you know, at his peak That's in his peak, prime. Um, and he essentially played like a like an MLS Lionel Messi. Some of the some of the kinds of plays that he would make. Um, so I think yeah, he's done a, a, a he he's a big reason for Toronto's uh, surge over the last couple of years. Uh, I'd say probably you know obviously the biggest. Um, but it's just soccer in this soccer in, in around the world is. A, a truly spectacular spectator sport. You know, the environments of the, um, at the stadiums where the games are being played are, everybody talks about it. People who aren't even soccer fans, when they go to Europe, say, I got to catch a soccer game. Yeah, it's atmosphere and, and the tradition, atmosphere is, all that and, sort of stuff. And if you want to know about the country you're in, sometimes it's a very easy way to figure out who the people are and what kind of things that interest them by going to the football or the soccer match in those, home, in those cities or those countries. Yeah. And one of my favorite stories was uh, an old boss of mine is a world traveler. And when he would go traveling to foreign countries, he'd be in an African country 
and he would introduce himself to somebody and they wouldn't really understand. They'd be going, what is your name? Michael, Michael. And he would reference, you know, oh, uh, this soccer player, Michael so-and-so. And they would go, oh, Michael, okay. I understand who your name now because it's such an international thing. Uh, well, the women so, have done it. The women have done it in Canada, and that's, you know, Christine Sinclair has become a yeah. household name because of that. And I, I, I guess that's sort of where we're headed uh, with this with this latest iteration. And, you know, as I, as I wrote in my column on Not the Public Broadcaster, I said, look, uh, I said that that game in Toronto, the, the, the soccer game, was everything the Grey Cup had not been a couple of weeks before. Uh, it was authentic. It was raucous. Sometimes it was rude. Sometimes it was, it was, it was you know, nut bars throwing stuff all over the place. But you really had a sense that it was that it was authentic. Whereas the Grey Cup game in Toronto at the same stadium with a team from Ottawa not far away, it just it was a papered house. It just had it just had no pizzazz. Absolutely. You know, it it helps that it was in Toronto's stadium, so you had a lot of the home fans. Um, but I think that that's I, I've always argued that's a detriment. Um, games like the Grey Cup and the Super Bowl being played in neutral areas, and because especially the, the Super Bowl, um, it becomes a corporate crowd. It becomes a place where you don't really have fans of that team. And so the environment is, it's dull. It's, there's, there's really not that much excitement unless the game is good. And it was the same case with the Grey Cup. You know, you saw people in the stands standing up, but you were going like, I'm sorry, are there any Calgary or Ottawa fans who are there standing up? You know, there's, there's not the same energy. People aren't cheering as much on third down to try and, you know, uh, distract or on second down to try and distract the offense and that kind of thing um, in a great cup game. And that's so much part of sports is that fan interaction that, you know, um, all of the fans uniting together in an effort to try and, and move their team towards a victory. And you just don't get that um, in, 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 you know, like in the great cup, for example, but you do get that every single game. In an MLS game, even in this country, let alone in in a game in Barcelona at Camp Nou, you know, where it's completely crazy. Uh, let's finish up, as I promised, with your beloved UFC. Um, oh, my gosh. Are you kidding? This is amazing. What? what? Am I dreaming? I'm holding my pulse here. It seems I have one. Well, I, I, I got to give you a shot at it. I mean, you've been wrong about everything else today, so I've got to give you something you can at least be right once in a while. Uh, so, so this Brock Lesnar thing, I mean, couldn't, couldn't the UFC, UFC see this coming? I mean, really, uh, is this, is this guy ever going to fight again in the UFC? And and what was he doing there in the first place? Uh, no, I, I highly doubt he'll ever fight in the UFC again, but that's what a lot of people were saying before the last time, you know, before UFC 200, when he came back. Um, I think in this case, there's some much greater impediments now. He's been suspended for a full year because he failed um, He failed his test um, for UFC 200, um, which in and of itself was, for lack of a better term, was, was a bit of a disturbing um, development considering that the when they announced he would be fighting at UFC 200 against Mark Hunt, uh, USADA, who does all the testing for the UFC fights, basically they said that he had to be in the testing pool for, I, th I believe it was 90 days prior to a fight. You have to be in the testing pool. And he'd only been, they'd only announced the fight something like 30 days ahead of time. But they made an exception for Brock Lesnar because of some strange reason. But I, 
ultimately he was able to fight on something like 30 days notice without having been tested prior. So he could have been on steroids, HGH, which evidently he was on some type of uh, supplement, heading into that 30-day period, cleaned off his hands, wiped off, you know, and then showed up, cashed his big old check. UFC cashed their big old check uh, and, 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 you know, gave them an, an ultimately a dull affair and um, basically got away with murder for, you know, for... Lack of a better uh, analogy. That's that's essentially that's, what he did. Because that's what everybody keeps waiting is when does when does UFC when does uh, Dana White make the fatal error that pops this balloon? Uh, you know, I, I don't think this is it. I'm not trying to pretend that this is it, but there is always that sense that somehow, you know, that this balloon has been pumped so full of air that at some point it's just going to come apart. Yeah, I, I, and you know, it's hard to tell because it's there. There's. You can never predict what the thing is going to be that ultimately is the most damaging. Um, you know, I think what's gonna what's gonna damage the UFC going forward right now is there's a there's a whole host of things. But the biggest thing right now is that they were just bought out by WME IMG um, in a big purchase, and you know it's been decent, well documented that WME IMG needs to make back a sizable loan. Um, to pay for the investment. And so what's happening now is the UFC is building a lot of their cards and, and scheduling a lot of their fights based on what sells best, not based on what's the most, uh, based on a meritocracy. Right. You know, we're so used to watching the NFL and watching the NBA and the NHL where, you know, you get to the playoffs, those teams earned it. They're the best of the best. There's no way about it. You're not, you don't get te- uh, the first place team playing the 12th base team because the 12th base team uh, is in a bigger market, you know, but one fewer games than 11 other teams. What's happening right now in the UFC is exactly that. You're getting guys like Dan Henderson, who's a legend in the sport and, you know, a, a pretty big sell for that reason, who had lost something like four of his last five fights. He got a title shot and that was his last fight. He was in a title shot, ultimately turned out to be a hugely dull affair too, but he never should have been in that position. Uh, and you get you're getting things like that happening more and more frequently. Um, you know, there's this this whole big deal with the interim title belt and Conor McGregor had to drop it. And the UFC basically stripped him of the belt to create an interim belt or a pay-per-view in order to sell the pay-per-view. Oh. But the interim belt that was being held at the time by somebody else, they just gave the real belt. So now you're creating an interim belt for no interim reason, just to sell a pay-per-view card. My old friend Ed Whalen would be pl- proud to hear you talking about uh, interim belts and taking away the belts and all that. <laughs> he used to love that stuff in wrestling when he was doing wrestling. So there well, you go. You got five minutes of UFC. It, the, the ironic thing about this, and I have to make this point, is that the UFC for the longest time distanced itself from boxing. They're, we're different from boxing. We make the fights that people want to see. Well, they're starting to become more and more like boxing in the sense that they're not putting the best guys against the best guys and, and building them up that way, which is the way it used to be in boxing. You got to the point where boxing became a money sport. So the promoters would put their guy against good, decent challenges, but, but not really considerable challenges to build their records, to build them up to get that 35-0 and record so that when they fought the other 36-0 and fighter, you made humongous money. 
that's the direction that the UFC is now heading. Um, so I, I find it hugely ironic that, that that's kind of what's happening. Um, you know, it seems like they're starting to combine the worst parts of boxing with the worst parts of, of professional wrestling at this point. Uh, and it's a bit it's a bit sad to watch, to be quite honest. Another thing we got to do, what we got to do is we got to get Heavy E on the on the phone. We'll do, we'll get you in here and we'll get in the studio together. We'll get Heavy E and we'll have a three man, uh, not the public podcast one of these days. Maybe over the holidays we can track him down and get a three man podcast. And- uh, I, I'm looking forward to it. Well, the, the question is, can we get a word in edgewise? But that'll be fun. I'm sure. I'm sure once we ask about the Dallas Cowboys and we can go off and maybe take a drive around the, the park and then go and get a coffee and we'll come back and he'll still just be starting his argument. So, but anyhow. Hey, the guy thinks deeply about sports. He thinks deeply and he talks very deeply about it. As well. Yeah. Listen, thanks very much. And to all of our listeners out there, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Happy Hanukkah or whatever you're celebrating. Thanks for listening. We're continuing to bring as much as we can in the new year. Don't forget to go to the website, notthepublicbroadcaster.com. There you're going to see Reese's work and my work. We publish two, three times a week each. You're going to see stuff up there, the columns. So please give it a chance. And then, of course, also, don't forget, I'm now doing the uh, Full Count podcast. And you can get all that, uh, all, all the material there on the Antica.com network. And we got a little bit of good news today, too, by the way, Reese. It looks like I'll be starting to appear mid-January on Sirius Satellite Radio. And I'll give all our listeners an update when we get to the New Year. So there you go. What were they thinking? I don't know, but I don't want to change their mind. That's for sure. It's because they saw saw this kid on the side and they say, we need to groom the next generation, right? Uh, Groom, I don't know if that's quite the word, but they're looking (laughs) for the next generation. Anyhow, thanks very much, Reese. Uh, We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Talk to you again on Not Public Talk.